a very good morning to all you lovely people. Thank you, that one person out there. A very good morning to all you lovely people. That's better. <laughs> there was a bit of a risk there that either you didn't hear me or you thought you weren't lovely, and you all are lovely, okay? There we go. So, um, if, um, if you're just joining us, we're busy with the series in the Book of Song of Songs, uh, and I can't um, urge you um, enough to go back and just listen to some of the introductions to today. But when you think of Song of Songs, especially some of you um, maybe thinking back a couple of weeks and you think of venturing into Song of Songs, it's probably something that excites you about as much as having the, the birds and the bees chat with your kids. Uh, and, so, um, and so just on that note, um, I, can't, I can't encourage you enough as parents to be having the birds and the bees chat with your kids. And if you're thinking, should I be, shouldn't I, you should probably already be starting that. And uh, it's so, so, so important to get to it sooner rather than later. And, um, and also not to feel the pressure that you've got to come and do it all in one go. Blah, but actually to build it up and begin developing a space where you can have a safe conversation. And it's so important because if you don't, someone else is going to get there and come and rob and steal some of the magnificence of what God has given us in the birds and the bees. And so, Song of Songs is not this awkward kind of X-rated book that somehow found its way into the Bible and we're like, oh my goodness, how did this get you? It's meant to be there. God put it there and there's more to this book than meets the eye. And so God is using the sensual language of earthly love. Did you hear it in the music, in the songs this morning? There was just this romance, this deep love. And on one level, it's an earthly kind of love language, but at the same time, God uses this language and our vocabulary to reach in our hearts and to come and speak to our hearts about His divine love. And so last week, we looked at winter's past. We looked at um, this idea of how there are these seasons in our lives that we're the mercy of these things that we don't have control over, a bereavement, a death, an illness, a disaster. And, um, and as a result, our relationships suffer, whether it's with God or whether it's in our earthly relationships with our husband, our wife, or even wider than that. And so when I um, walk my kids to, the school, to school in the morning, I use it as an opportunity to just reach into their little lives. And every now and then, I talk to them about the three most important decisions in their lives. And so the three most important decisions in their lives and in your lives are, number one, who you choose to spend eternity with. In other words, who you choose as your God. Number two is who you choose to spend this life with. In other words, who you choose to marry. And so in the context of who you choose to spend eternity with, there's a whole bunch of choices, but really there's only one. There's Jesus. And in the context of uh, us coming and getting married one day, there may be a whole bunch of choices, but we want to coach our children, and we want to come to a space where we're not marrying a Delilah or an Ahab that comes and calls out the worst in us, but comes and brings us to the best of what we could be. And then the third one is who you choose to do community with. Who you choose to do community with. And really, you are designed by God to be in community. When God made Adam, they recognized very quickly that it's not good for him to be alone. So Adam and Eve together. But they, that's not community there as God designed it. It's Adam, Eve, and God together in the Garden of Eden. And so when we come and we talk about the community you choose to be with, it's in the context of church. 
It's in the context of church because when we come and we look at community that God designed, it's a community in which He is included in it. And so the first reference to church that we see is not in the New Testament, but that's actually in the book of Genesis with Adam and Eve and God. That's the definition of a community that God's called us to come and to be a part of. And so these are the three most important decisions that you could come and make in your life. And with it, they represent incredibly precious relationships. Relationships that are all at the risk of foxes. And so this week, I want to transition to a message called Foxes, Freeloaders, and Fears. And I want to touch on part one, which is the foxes part of it, which you would have heard a reference to this morning. And it's a reference to the things, unlike winter, the things that you don't have control over, it's the things that you do have control over. And so the scripture is, catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that run, that ruin the vineyard, our vineyards that are in bloom. And it's this idea of these things that we do have control over in our lives that, if left unattended, will come and cause our relationships to suffer. And so it's a little bit like in our house, the toilet seat situation. And so this is something I have control over. And I'm not always sure, especially at three in the morning, if the toilet seat needs to be down or if it needs to be up. And it's something I'm working on, and hopefully I can figure it out, and I can get better at it, because I know our relationship would do better as a result of that. And so, and so there's some things that you have control over that can come and um, make a difference. And so in Song of Songs, we see there's this layer, right? Layer number one on the top that is clear for everyone, the relationship between a man and a woman. But underneath that is the layer between that represents and shows us the relationship between God and His people. And in the context of the Scripture, the vineyard is a picture of our relationships, whether with a husband or a wife or whether it's with God. The vineyard represents a relationship. And so a vineyard, you would know, requires lots of work, pruning, tending, caring. And it's the same in a marriage. It's the same in our relationships, that they require work and effort, that we have to become students of our spouses, learn their languages, and come and grow and develop and compromise so that we can grow together. And it's the same with our relationship with God. It requires investment from us. Our vineyards, our relationships need hard work to make sure that they do well. And in the context of this, there's these little foxes that would come. Now, a fox will come and eat rabbits and birds and uh, frogs and earthworms and carrion and, and all kinds of things, but it's also an omnivore. I don't know if you know this, but it will eat fruits and berries. And so, in the context of this vineyard, there is this idea of a fox coming and eating the fruit off the vine. And it's a picture of a relationship being robbed of its fruit in that season. But that fox doesn't only come and do that, it digs at the vine. And it comes and it gnaws at the vine. And those vines are often decades of hard work invested to get it to where it is that can be ruined in a night with a fox that comes and destroys it. And so we come and we think of a fox, well, what kind of damage could it do? But the, the truth is, is, is that we mustn't underestimate the fox. It's a little bit like when I was in Hermanus many years ago, and I got it in my mind that I was going to catch a dusty. We were sitting watching the, um, the whales, and it was a little bit boring, and I thought, let me catch a dusty. So I held a little chip there, and I lured this dusty. He came close, and when he got here, I was going to grab him from behind. And so I had the chip, and he came all the way close, 
and he got close there and he stood up on his back legs, leant forward and with his hands, he, he kind of nestled the chip in his hands, in his paws, while it was in my hands and he began to chew it. It was so cute. And he chewed it and it was so lovely and then the chip was finished and then he started to lick the, like, the residue of the chips that was on my fingers. It began with his soft little tongue stroking my finger and he just licked it and licked it and then he went... <laughs> I got so angry, I ran after him. I was throwing my shoe at him, and he ran off, licking his lips. And I had to go and have a rabies shot as a result. Foxes are like dusties. Do not underestimate them. They're dangerous. And so in the context of our relationships, in the context of the second most important decision that you will make in your life, in your marriage, in your courting, in your dating, in your singleness... There are little foxes that you must not underestimate. And the question is, what are the little foxes in your life? What are some of the little foxes in your relationship? What are some of the little foxes in your marriage? And before we jump into a whole bunch of these, I just want to pray for us very quickly. Heavenly Father God, I thank you for this morning, for this time together. And we invite you to come and be a part of this moment. Lord, more than my words, I pray people would hear your voice reaching down from the balcony of heaven, meeting them where they're at. And I pray, God, that you would help open our eyes to the little foxes in our relationships. Lord, we know that you want us to live in the fullness of how you've designed life to be, in the fullness of our relationships with you and with others and with our spouses. And I pray, God, that you'd open our eyes to some of these things and you'd Come and help us find the courage to rid our lives of these, that we might be drawn into greater intimacy with you and greater intimacy with each other. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. And so, I've got lots and lots of little foxes that I want to share. Some of them I'm going to spend a little bit longer on. Some of them I'm going to just jump through and trust that you're going to come to some of your own content and context around them. And so, uh, little foxes of marriage, number one, poor communication. And this is perhaps the biggest of the little foxes that there is because a good relationship rises on good communication and a bad relationship or a suffering relationship falls on bad communication. And so I know in relationships, Kaz sometimes speaks in rainbows and I sometimes speak with grunts. And it's sometimes hard to make out what we're saying to each other. But communication is so much more than just the words we say. It's the way we say it. It's the attitude with which we come and speak. Uh, It it has to do with our body language, our intentions, and even the receptiveness and the way we listen. That's part of communication. And so so when you come and you, you speak in different languages, and I want to say that If you are in a relationship with someone of the opposite sex, you speak a different uh, language. It's just the way it is. And and so uh, for a long time in Kaz and our relationship, we were speaking in circles. It was just a really frustrating space to be. Uh, and, um, And so if you can't understand each other, you can't resolve anything. It's just the way it is. And so, and so you can see how all of these other ones largely are going to rise and fall on the ability to communicate. And this might be a starting point for many. In our kind of dealing with marriages, it is one of the biggest, if not the biggest issue, is, is 
not being able to communicate, understand each other. And it's a case of coming and understanding each other's languages. Being a student of each other's languages. And so this is a big little fox. Number two, skewed priorities. And so you can see this isn't like, you know, major sin or anything like that. It's just a very unassuming thing, you know, poor communication, skewed priorities. And so, and so when we come and we talk about life and building life as God intends, there's a blueprint on how we would come and build that. That blueprint, regardless of who you are, is built around and based on your priorities. And so what are the priorities? What should your priorities be? Well, I know that when Jesus was asked the question, what's the greatest commandment, he came and he said that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, right? And so right there he comes and he puts the first priority. And so with that priority, we're called to what Song of Songs comes and reveals, this love relationship with God. And I would say just underneath that as a number two is to come and to be like God, to come and, and to use whatever we can to channel that relationship to a place where we can become more like God. So it's spending time with God, it's reading His Word, it's praying, it's being in community. These things are important. And then Jesus comes and He says, the second is just like it. You still love your neighbor. And uh, uh, my mom and dad grew up living across the road from each other. And my dad took this to heart and seriously, and so he loved his neighbor to the point that he married her. And so for all of us, really, our first neighbor is our spouse. And then after that is our children. And I think maybe fifth, maybe, I I don't know, we can debate this out, but underneath that would be providing for your family. And then maybe underneath that would be coming and loving your extended family. And maybe under that would be loving your friends. And maybe under that would loving yourself in some hobbies. Or You get the idea, right? There's a hierarchy of priorities here. And there are some things that are more important than other things. And so when we come and we invert these priorities, we get it a little bit wrong. And there's a danger in that. And so, for example, we come and we want to be a great provider for our family, which is important, Right? And so we come and we work and we work hard and all of a sudden we're working late. We're unable to come and get up early. We're not spending time with God, if that's something of your rhythm. Or you're working long hours. You're not as present in your children's lives anymore. Or you come and you want to be a great parent, which is something all of us as parents would want to come and do and be. We want to give our kids a magical childhood, right? And so we come and, and, and we want to prioritize them and all of a sudden we've got nippers on a Sunday, we've got cricket on a Sunday and we can't prioritize church. And my point is, is that one day the kids will be out the house, you will be retrenched and in that moment your priorities are going to let you down. You're going to fall apart because it's not coming and being built on the first things that should be first. Love the Lord your God. And so one of the things that we need to come and do in our relationships, one of the foxes is skewed priorities or priorities that don't match up. And so this is another little fox. Number three, unmet expectations. And so when I, come, when I came to a relationship with Kaz, I had all kinds of dreams and desires, things that I hoped for and longed for. And then when you come and you get involved in a relationship, and you begin to share those things with that other person, all of a sudden, by virtue of you sharing them, they change from a dream and a desire to an expectation. 
Or alternatively, when you hear these things that the other person is sharing around their dreams and desires, they become an expectation to you because this is something that they're hoping for. You want to please them. It becomes a burden, a responsibility, and you don't want to disappoint them. And so you come into a relationship, and he thinks that we're going to be thrifty with the finances. She thinks we're going to live at large and just swipe the credit card. He wants to come and have a bottle of wine every night because, you know, that's, you know, that's nice. She's happy to have a glass of water every night. There's a standard of living mismatch. He thinks she's going to come and clean the house all day. She thinks that uh, it's a responsibility both of them are going to come and take and do. He thinks that they're going to give their children hiding. She says that's never going to happen. He wants to go and travel overseas. She thinks the Cape is wonderful and never wants to leave. Uh, so you see, there are these dreams and desires, and when they're not matched, or when they're put out there, they become expectations that are just incredibly dangerous. And so the key for couples to come and to learn and live in a healthy space is that every day, every day they understand that they owe each other nothing. Sorry, that they owe each other everything, and they don't expect anything in return. That's the key in this space is that you owe each other everything, but expect nothing in return. Number four, unresolved conflicts. This is a little bit like a splinter that you can't get out that sits there and begins to fester. I've got something in my foot at the moment, and it's killing me, because I can feel it there, but I can't find it. And it's not a piece of glass. It's too big, and it's just uh, it's really bothering me. And, and unresolved conflicts is a little bit like this. It's like, uh, let's agree to disagree I don't like that. I don't know. I don't know so much. And so, and so um, in the early days of our relationship, I was perhaps a, a little bit too intentional and a little bit too intense, and I wanted to be proactive around any kind of conflict and to resolve it very quickly. And so I moved towards conflict, whereas Kaz moved away from conflict. And so I was moving towards conflict, Kaz was moving away, and it looked a little bit like this. Uh, and, so, and so I would come on a fairly regular basis, to my shame, and I'd say, I think we need to talk about this. Uh, and I was you know, open to the fact that in talking about it, we'll process it and we'll figure it out. And, and I'd raise something and Kaz would be sitting there and she'd kind of be wanting to just sweep the stuff under the carpet. And what I realized after a couple of years of not resolving conflict was that I was a peace broker. I like to broke peace deals. I'd come and I'd move towards conflict. I'd say, let's sort this out. And Kaz is a peacekeeper. She likes to sweep things under the carpet. She moves away from conflict. And so as I'm coming towards her and I'm saying, I think we need to talk about this, she's moving away. And I'm thinking, she's obviously not understanding, so let me tell her again. But instead of telling her in new and different ways, I just simply said the same things with a louder voice. Let me tell you again. And it kind of escalated to tears, and then she's crying, and I'm like, oh my goodness, you should think about this and come back to me when you've figured out where it lands on. And then she's saying, um, she's saying, oh, I think after four days, I think he's forgotten, and I've definitely forgotten. And then three months later, this thing happens again. But the Bible comes and it speaks about this, right? It says, it doesn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers, right? It doesn't say, blessed are the peace brokers. It says, blessed are the peacemakers. And so a peacekeeper or a peace broker really wants to come and fight for themselves. But a peacemaker 
wants to come and fight for the greater good, for the relationship. And so the peace broker in me wants to come and fight for this thing, and I want to fight to be right. But the peacemaker wants to fight for the relationship and to fight to make sure the relationship does well. That's where we need to come and find ourselves. And unresolved conflict is often as a result of a peace broker and a peacekeeper, and we need to move towards the middle of being a peacemaker. Number five, neglecting your partner. Now, um, everyone's got a love language, right? Uh, There are the common love languages uh, that we'll touch on in a moment, and there are the more obscure love languages. One of my obscure love languages is irritation. And so Kaz knows that when I'm irritating her, it's actually my love language. I'm just loving her. One of Kaz's love languages is acts of violence. <laughs> it took me a while to realize that a clothesline in the solar plexus was actually a sign of love from her. <laughs> and, so, and so the more traditional space of love languages, you would know words of affirmation and acts of service and receiving gifts and, and physical attention and quality time. And so I'm talking about, I like to give love by being a little bit irritating, but how do I like to receive love? I don't really like to be irritated that much. <laughs> you know, I, I like to um, receive my love in acts of service or gifts. Uh, and so each of us has a lang- love language in which we receive love. And so, and so when we don't make an effort, the love tank begins to empty, your spouse can feel neglected, and then they start to look for affirmation elsewhere. This is a, a little fox. Number six, lack of communication. So this isn't poor communication, this is lack of communication. And so he gets a new job, Uh, it's going to require a whole bunch more travel. Uh, She's excited, but she didn't know about this extra travel, and when it comes on her, she's surprised uh, and uh, a little bit daunted. He assumed that she would understand and cope with it. She felt neglected, um, unimportant, and a little bit resentful, and as a result, their marriage becomes strained. That's an example of a lack of communication. Number six, selfishness. He splurges on a new bike without consulting her. I'm just going to look up here because there might be many of you that have done this. She arranges a girl's night out without checking her schedule, his schedule, withholding affection, refusing to compromise along the way, ignoring boundaries, making unilateral decisions, refusing to take responsibility. These are all examples of, of selfishness. What about number eight, taking each other for granted? So when Kaz is away, I have to come and navigate the school communicator, which honestly, I think it would be easier to decode Nazi Germany war comms than it is to figure out the school communicator. It is daunting beyond belief. And so that's one thing. I've got to come and I've got to coordinate extra murals. I've got to come and do dinners and breakfasts and lunches and snacks and, and shopping. I've got to come and do the homework and the projects. And I've got to come and do the fundraisers and the little play dates and the, the homework projects and the sports and the lifts to Route 67 and whatnot. And, and then I kind of get to the end of the week and Kaz comes back and I'm like, but actually I'm going, sure, I think I took Kaz for granted because of the enormity of it. And so we can take each other for granted. Number nine, financial disagreements. You spend too much money, you don't have enough money, you don't know what's happening with the money. Number ten, differences in values or belief. 
You know, you can be in a marriage with someone that loves Christ, but you can still be unequally yoked in your spiritual beliefs, your political beliefs, your parenting practices, your role responsibilities. Number 11, lack of physical intimacy can lead to feelings of rejection and disconnection. Number 12, organize your home or the lack of organization in your home. And so, on one side, you've got a random house with, with no schedule, with no organizing and no boundaries. Anything goes. And it's under the tyranny of the loudest voice. On the other end, you've got a closed home that is super scheduled and that is super organized and has very strict boundaries that no one can come and impose themselves on it. And in the middle of that, you actually need an open home that has a healthy balance between those two. And sometimes he can be there and she can be there. Or you can both be there or both be there. But that space needs to be an open home. Your home is a gift from God. It's a blessing. It's a space that you can come and share the gospel, reach into other people's lives, bless other people. Number 13, technology. This is a big issue these days. So you see with all of these, they're not big things, but in, the, in leaving them, unattended, they can be huge. And so studies have shown just the addictive nature of our phones and screen times and how addicted we are to our phones. And so let's just do a quick little exercise. Pick your phones up. Okay. Go to settings in my phone. That's my settings. And then I'm going to go down to screen time. Okay. It's just recalibrating. Okay. So uh, it is, it is uh, 10.30 in the morning, and today I've already spent three, uh, three hours and 50 minutes on my phone. Okay, there's a bit of context to that. Um, and you can go and see your activity and where that activity is. So in my defense, I've spent two min- 21 minutes on WhatsApp, five minutes on Pages, Five minutes on my camera and two minutes on the load shedding app. The rest is on another app that helps me with timings and things. My point is, as you go and you look at your phone, how much time are you spending on your phone? And so we've got to be careful of our screens and what they let into our lives. We've got to be careful of how they can come and dominate our lives. And so some of my principles around my phone and around screen time uh, that I... um, and living in varying degrees of success in, and getting to in varying degrees of application. But number one, no phones in the bedroom at night while sleeping. Number two, a charging station outside of the room. It's in our bathroom. So it's outside. No phones in the bed before bed. Rather read a book. No social media for me. Some of you are still waiting for me to accept your friendship request on Facebook from eight years ago. I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen. It's mine, but it's just not a priority to me. No work-related messages for me at home unless it's an emergency. So I try and get through my stuff at work, during the day, and when I get home, I want to be present with my family. On my Sabbath, I largely ignore my phone. My Sabbath is generally a Friday, and by and large, I won't touch my phone. I might play a game on it, I might check the news, but nothing com-wise, no emails, no WhatsApp, no social media, none of that stuff. And the people in the office know that it's going to be really hard to get hold of me on a Friday. And when I'm, in with, when I'm with people and, and I'm face-to-face with people, 
my priority is those people in that moment. If my phone goes and there's a call or if there's messages come through, I do not want to check my phone or take those calls because these people have taken the time and effort and energy to come and to spend time with me. I don't want to now come and reward someone who's lazily sitting on the other side of the world who's phoning me. I can get back to them later. And FYI, none of our kids have phone, phones currently and they're doing fine. And... Um, not that we're opposed to phones, but we're going to manage it well. We're going to put boundaries in place. Number 14, issues of pain. Issues of pain, past hurts. Whether it's from when you were growing up as a kid or dating or previous marriage or divorce or something that happened years ago or even in your existing marriage. And so past hurts, issues of pain, can be like a broken bone that's reset badly. That if you don't reset it properly and it doesn't heal properly, it can come and just hamper you going forward. And so I remember a story of uh, a couple um, that were together and then they, they, um, they broke up. And so later on, she realized that this guy was actually a, a bit of a catch and, um, and she regretted it. And she came to him and said, you know what I realized is that, um, is that I treated you how I should have treated your ex-boyfriend and I treated my ex-boyfriend how I should have treated you the point being is that she brought into that kind of fresh relationship these hurts from the past and it influenced that. And it was like a broken bone that came and uh, uh, influenced that relationship. And so it can be issues of past pain. It could be, number 15, issues of shame. What are the secrets that you're hiding in your relationship? What are the things that your spouse does not know? The stuff that only will come out when it's too late. The porn addiction which seems to be everywhere and for anyone. It used to be just guys, that, but now it's all over the place. Addictive habits, secret disorders, hidden debt, past mistakes. You've heard me quote this before. Tim Keller says, To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. And so there's some of you that are in a relationship with the love of your life and you're nurturing a porn addiction and you're scared that if you come and you share it, you're going to be rejected, right? He says, to be known and not loved is our greatest fear. That you come and you share this thing. You come and share your disorder. You come and share your secret hidden debt. You come and share past mistakes. And your fear is that you're going to be rejected. But the other side of it is that if they don't know this, it's actually a form of superficial love. Because they don't truly, really know you. And Keller goes on and he says, but to be fully known and truly loved as well, a lot like being loved by God. You know, God loves you just the way you are. Not that he comes and accepts it, but he comes and he finds you and he says, yeah, that's okay. We can work with this. We can move forward from this. I'm more interested in the future than the past. And God knows everything that there is to know about you and he still died on the cross for you. He still did it. And this is the love that we're called to, to our spouses. Is this kind of love that's not condemning but redeeming. Yes, we've made mistakes, but we can redeem it. We can work through it. Number 16, scheduling and budgeting. Lots of you don't have budgets. Lots of you don't have schedules. Schedules are how you spend your time. Budgets are how you spend your money. Many, many, many fights will be on how you spend your time and your money. Number 17, unhealthy friendships. Friendships can come and be healthy and good, but they can also be divisive. And break down your relationship, break down your marriage. And number 18 
extended family. I'm talking here about that battle axe mother-in-law of yours. I'm talking about that crusty old father-in-law of yours. I'm talking about the extended family that uh, happens to be Catholic with 192 cousins and a wedding every second month. And you just didn't know what you were getting into. And so, um, and so when you get married, the Bible teaches that you leave your parents. Man will leave his mother and father and come and cleave to his wife. There is a leaving and a cleaving that happens. And, and while you're unmarried, the family of priority is the family of origin that you come from. But once you leave your house, you come and form a new family unit that becomes the priority. And it's this family unit. And the thing is, is that your heart's desire for this new family unit as a newly married couple is that this will become what that was. And you have to come and build and invest and grow in it. And it's a tricky thing to come and navigate because in the context of a marriage between a husband and a wife, there's some desires and dreams that become expectations. In coming and leaving your family, there are some expectations that you carry with you that are actually meant to still be dreams and desires that are something that they hope for, not they come and expect. And so, as we come and we speak about this, do you have parents that weigh in on your marriage? Do you have um, an expectation to be present at every Christmas, every Easter, every birthday? Is there an expectation to go on every holiday together? And this can come and hamper the development of your own family unit. And so you need to come together and decide together around the boundaries and then, by and large, if not always, you need to come and communicate them separately. He communicates to his family, she communicates to her family. And you come and you do it together, but you take the lead on that. Uh, and, um, and so, this is number 18 of the list. We're going to end there. And so, these are a whole bunch of little foxes in the context of relationships and marriages. In the context of you coming and in your singleness, looking for someone to marry, it could already be some of these things sitting there. In you coming and dating or courting, these are some things that you might have to keep your eye open for. And I, I want to come and say that in and of themselves, these things aren't terrible. But if left unattended, they will grow. And they will grow into what Dr. John Gottman, anyone heard of Dr. John Gottman, the marriage expert guru? Anyone? Okay, there, well, there's one hand, there's two hands. Okay, so he's, he's this legend. Um, I think he's a Jewish guy in New York, and he's just spent years and years and years studying marriages. And he speaks about the four horsemen of divorce. Not the four horsemen of the apocalypse, but the four horsemen of divorce. And these foxes unattended will lead to these four horses. We're going to watch a little video. And just to understand that left unattended, any one of these things and any one of a whole bunch of other things we haven't mentioned can come and lead to one of these bad boys. Let's have a look. You, you say that there are four negative patterns that can predict divorce. And I think this is really critical yeah. for, for folks to, to watch. We're going to show some videotapes of couples that Dr. Gottman and his associates have interviewed. And we're going to look at specific things they do in fights, which frankly I think a lot of people do. I think a lot of people in the audience are going to notice things that maybe they do. Uh, a lot of you at home are going to notice things. The first one is criticism. Take a look at this example. So that's your way of dealing with everything. You don't do it. If you don't want to do it, you don't do it. It's like doing your chores. 
you want what are you doing to make the chore thing change? You know, like you want you want that to run differently where they do more chores. What kind of planning have you and time have you spent fixing it? Or you just keep telling me you want it to run differently. All right, so criticism. Anyone in the audience use criticism in an argument? Yeah, over here. Over here. Only one person being honest over here. <laughs> Everyone else is lying. Yeah, I don't want to tell the whole world that I'm critical. All right. Yeah. So, but, but you find, in noticing, looking at that, you, you notice something you do as well. It looked like me. It looked like you. And I wanted to be, uh, yeah. And I wanted some tips to, you know, fight fair and be nice. And I think you helped when you said it's the same um, what did you say with your wife? You, it was the same complaint, but you right. just... I just said it in a way she could hear it. Exactly. Right. And why is criticism so dangerous to a relationship? Well, it's, it's really uh, a way of fueling the attack. So you state your complaint as an attack on the other person. And what you're going to get back is you're not so perfect either, <laughs> or an innocent victim kind of response. And so it's just not constructive. It winds up just, you know, leading to an escalation of the conflict. Because you're really saying, you know, as far as I can tell, I'm, I'm really pretty close to perfect. But you are defective. <laughs> and the answer you're going to get is you're you, not so sound, perfect. You, sounds familiar? Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope that helps. Um, you say another divorce predictor is contempt. Yeah. I find this one really fascinating. Let's take a look at this tape. Yeah, a lot of the time, I already know what you're going to say. Oh, it'll be alright. Oh, we'll get through it. Oh, make it, it'll be okay. Oh, I love you. We'll be behind you. Alright. So, that guy wouldn't even get up, by the way. He was, he was so contemptuous, he was just laying back. So, why is that so toxic? Well, it's, he's mocking her, right? So, he's acting superior to her. And not only is contempt our best predictor of divorce, because it's really this air of superiority. It's sulfuric acid for love. If you don't have respect in a relationship... Sulfuric acid for love. I it like really that. is. I mean, you need respect in a relationship. And contempt is disrespect. And it's also a predictor of how many infectious illnesses his wife is going to have in the next four years. It erodes Wait the immune system. Wait a minute, what? System. Really? It erodes the immune system. Contempt erodes the immune system? Absolutely. Wait, you, you say you, have con you use contempt. Yes, I do. I agree with, uh, with him fully because my husband's a geneticist. He's Australian. They don't like arguments. That's why they have a shed, uh, you know, they in the, back, in the they... back so they can hide when there's an argument. <laughs> uh -huh. um, so that, that triggers contempt, and I, I continue having contempt. And over the years, I've you know, become ill, I've had an immune system uh, problem. Yeah. It's amazing to me that, that something like contempt can have physical uh, yeah. repercussions. Yeah, and uh, in, at Ohio State University, uh, Jan Keiko Glazer and Ron Glazer have documented how T lymphocytes don't proliferate as much. Natural killer cells, which are cytotoxic against tumors, are not as effective in a relationship that has contempt and criticism. Um, let's look at the third predictor uh, of divorce's defensiveness in arguments. Take a look. What do you mean I'm always watching TV? I'm working. Can I watch the news? You're always watching TV and the kids. No, the TV I can't, I can't watch a little bit of TV. Yeah. So, Dr. Gottman, defensiveness, why is that so toxic? Well, the reason it's so toxic is that 
people are not taking responsibility for a part of the problem. And when people, when the masters of relationships, instead of being defensive, take responsibility and say, well, so what's your point? I mean, it makes some sense what you're saying. Tell me more. And they take responsibility for even a small part of the problem. Then, you know, you're kicking around the problem together. It's like you're playing soccer and kicking a ball around together. You're a team working on this joint problem. The, the, and, yeah, so defensiveness gets in the way of that. Right. And the fourth one, the fourth predictor is, is stonewalling. Take a look. So, <laughs> we all know what that is. Right. Um, I mean, is any one of these things a predictor of divorce? Yeah, all of them sort of ride together. They're the four horsemen of the apocalypse. You know, they're like in the book of Revelations. You know, they spell the end of days. And, uh, and stonewalling is really interesting because when we interview people who stonewall, 85% of our stonewallers in heterosexual couples are guys. Huh. And... And what predicts stonewalling is a heart rate above 100 beats a minute. And also, when we interview them about what they're thinking, they're really trying not to make it worse. They're saying to themselves, just shut up. You're going to make it worse. How long can she go on like this? She'll burn herself out. Uh, Ten minutes to the game, she can't touch me then. So the stonewaller is really trying to calm down and not make it worse. But when you're faced with somebody who's silent like that, you escalate. So it's a very destructive pattern. So I wonder how many of those you recognize. I wonder if there are any that you recognize. If you do, I want to ask you to take it seriously. We laugh at this, but really it's a serious matter. Uh, and so um, the reality is, is once you get to this place where these four horsemen are kind of running right in your life, you begin to uh, live uh, almost like a parallel lonely life with your spouse. And it's either going to lend, lead to separation and divorce, or you're going to lead, lead these lonely parallel lives where she has her friends, her money, her church, and he has his friends, his church, his money, and it kind of separates us. And that just isn't what God has for you. And you've got to get to it sooner, than, sooner rather than later. And part of it is for us who are recognizing some of these foxes to jump on them now and to deal with them now before they escalate to any of these. But if there are any of you that are worried or concerned, I want you to come and to speak to me, speak to us, and we want to come and fight for your marriage. And so, and so how do you come and you deal with this? Well, let me tell you the most powerful thing that I know of outside of the cross and what Christ has done, which in and of itself is the embodiment of this very thing, is forgiveness. It's forgiveness. And so the cross of Christ is the forgiveness of sin in our lives. And in moments like this where we come and maybe we're living in a space that we shouldn't be, where we're coming and allowing, permitting foxes in our lives that we shouldn't be, it can lead to incredible danger. We need to come and deal with them. We need to speak about them and we need to ask for forgiveness, repent of them and move on from there. And so I want to ask us to do something very simple very quickly for 30 seconds, just you on your own, before God, I just want you, I'm going to pray for us, I want you to consider, in fact, let me, let me pray. God, as we take a moment and pray now, I ask that your spirit would come and just bring to mind any of these little foxes or any of these four horsemen that might be apparent in our lives, individually, 
I don't want us to think of anyone else. I want us to think of ourselves. And God, this is an opportunity for us to come and take responsibility. Just as we take 30 seconds to a minute now, just to be quiet, we want to do business with you. We want to ask you, God, to come and put your finger on anything that we need to come and deal with. Great. For those of you that are here with your spouse, I want to encourage you in the next 15 seconds to pluck up the courage and whisper in their ear what, if anything, God showed you. And I want you to bring it into the light. I want you to come and begin a journey of dealing with that. And so, the next 10 to 15 seconds, for those of you that are here with your spouse, with someone that you're pursuing a relationship with, your fiancé, someone that you're looking to one day get married, just take a second and share with them, if anything. Okay. Great. Well done. I just want to say that um, if you did share something there, and it was absolutely shocking, and you're like, oh my goodness. I just want to ask you to hide your shock. And just understand that them coming and finding the courage to share that with you is a massive credit to you and your relationship. And it means, and should mean a huge amount to you. And this is something that you can deal with, work through and get through and come out stronger on the other side. Now what I want to do is, I, um, I want to come and transition this. And so... For me, the Book of Song of Songs is very much about our kind of earthly relationships. But more than that, it's about our divine relationship with God. And, um, and today, we spent most of our time on earthly relationships. But I don't want it to be at the cost of the divine relationship that we have with God. And so, you know, we spoke about earlier the three most important decisions in your life. Well, the first one is who you choose to spend eternity with. And there are little foxes in the context of that too. And I, I just want to come in and make the point and understand that there may be folk here that are sitting in that space who have not made the decision of who they're going to spend eternity with. And there's a whole group of options out there of this, that, and the next thing. And I just want to come and share with you very quickly why I come and tell my kids Jesus. And just to tell you this, I am not ashamed in indoctrinating my kids. I'm not. Because if I don't, someone else or something else will. And I've got a better vantage point to come and help them navigate that. And so, very quickly, I want to come and tell you how I see Jesus. If you are not, um, if you at this stage don't know who, who God is and who, um, who it is you're choosing to spend eternity with, I want to commend, I want to recommend to you Jesus Christ. And this is, this is how I see Jesus. And some of you would know this story. Many, many years ago, I went and I worked at a ski resort in America. And one of the jobs I had was a busboy. And as a busboy, I was cleaning tables in a huge conference hall where there were stacks of parents with kids and rich, wealthy, wealthy Americans. And my job was to clear tables, put it on a tray and take it and lift it and and carry it out to the kitchen to be cleaned. And so there was a tray against the wall there that I was stacking, huge amounts of plates, cups, sauces, bowls, cereal, milk, egg, uh, toast, bacon, syrup, yogurt, everything on there. And I went down and picked this tray up and as I got to my highest point, began turning, 
I lost balance and it crashed against the wall, fell down and just smeared food and utensils and plates all over the floor, all over the wall onto the floor. You've never seen a room as big go as quietly, as quickly as that. As I stood there like, oh my goodness. And everyone just turned to me in unison. And from the other side of the room, there was this man that stood up. And as he stood up, he kind of shifted his sleeves up. And I was like, it's just a tray. You don't have to get angry, you know. And he, he, he lifts his sleeves up and he comes marching over there. And I'm like, I, I'm, I don't know. And he comes and he walks past me and he gets down on his hands and knees and he begins scooping the stuff up and putting it on the tray. And I kind of stood there like, what? And, and he kind of got stuck into the mess that I'd made and began to help to clean it. And for me, this is a picture of Christ. Jesus could have stayed up in heaven. He didn't have to come down. But he comes down to earth and he comes into the mess of our lives. The mess that he hasn't made, but the mess in our lives, which the Bible teaches is sin. And he comes and he helps clean it up. And the way that he cleans it up, and we've got to understand this, is that in our sin we are completely other to God who is holy. God in his white hot holiness is pure. But in our sin, we are completely foreign to Him. And as we are foreign to God, we're cut off from God. And in being cut off from God, we will die. That's the sentence of sin, is death. But Jesus comes and He dies on the cross. And in that moment, that completely innocent man comes and dies. And He swaps our life out for His. And the call for us is to come and be in Christ. The Bible teaches if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. If you're in Christ, you are seen by God as he sees Jesus. And the thing that is completely other and different from every other belief system out there is that every other belief system wants you to clean your mess up before you can come and hang out with God. Whereas with Christianity and Jesus, he comes and he helps clean our mess up. And our mantra for faith is we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. Not in our works, not in anything else. And I cannot recommend Christ to you more highly this morning. I want you to discover Jesus. Not just for the saving grace that you'd find in him, but for the sweetness of the relationship that this book comes and points to. And so within the context of the sweet relationship that we're invited to you, most of you here would know the sweetness of that relationship. Singing these songs this morning, it resonated with you just the depth and the love and the sweetness of God's relationship in your life. If you're not experiencing it now, you would have known it, and you have known it. And there's an invitation to come back to that and to know it once again. A relationship that is so sweet and so divine that you will forego anything else in order to preserve this relationship. You'll let go of that sin which seems so delightful for so long. You'll let it go because this relationship is more important to you. And so in the context of the little foxes, man, we come, we talk about miracles. And can I just give you some feedback in Claudia? As you'd know, Claudia was in a car accident um, more than a week ago, and um, it was a hectic, hectic car accident. And uh, in the course of this week, Kaz and I went and saw her. She was chipper, full of life, and she's doing well. She had an operation on Friday, which was really successful, and the prognosis is good. And so as we come in, we look at this and what happened, it seems like a miracle. It really does. But you know, the greatest miracle is our salvation and the relationship that we have in God. 
That is, above anything else that could happen, that is the greatest miracle there is. And that relationship is the most precious. That's why it's the most important decision you can make. And so there are things in your life that are little foxes that can come and rob your relationship of, with God of the sweetness that it should have. Little foxes. Some of them are similar to what we shared earlier. Some of them are different. But I just want to ask you, as we begin to land this, I want to ask you just to close your eyes, and I'm going to read off a couple. I'm going to try and do it fairly slowly. And as I do, just allow God to come and point his finger to some of these. If there are areas in your life or foxes in your life that you need to come and deal with. And so, number one, skewed priorities. Poor communication, unmet expectations where you expected a certain thing from God and you didn't get it, or neglect, where you feel like God's neglecting you and he's not meeting you on your terms, selfishness, issues of pain, issues of shame, related to this one above, sin, distractions, unforgiveness, pride, disobedience. Fear, idolatry, complacency, lack of gratitude, entitlement, impatience, lack of community, doubt, busyness, legalism, discontent, unbelief, false belief, pride, negativity, Lack of accountability. Lack of intimacy. Almighty God, the most precious relationship that there is is the one that we share with you. And I pray, God, that we would not be blasé. We would not come and be backfooted around any of the little foxes in our lives, but we would come and deal with them. pray that as we've shared this morning, as we've come and gone through a list here, that we would see things highlighted in our relationship with you that we can come and be better with. We can come and bring before you, submit before you and ask your forgiveness for. And as we do, we know that you are a good Father in heaven. That you're kind to us. And that you would not condemn us, but that you would work about the path of redemption. You would redeem these things for us. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Won't you just be so diligent with the little foxes in your relationship with God and your relationship with your spouse and those around you? We're going to finish in a moment, but before we do... We want to come and launch our fellowship groups. We're starting next week again. So I just want to ask all the existing, not the new, but all the existing fellowship group leaders just to come up to the front. Um, and, um, you know, earlier we spoke about the three most important decisions in your life. The first is who you choose to spend eternity with. The second, um, um, uh, the second is who you choose to spend um, um, your life with and the third is who you choose to do community with
And um, as I was speaking earlier, um, we were just saying how we are designed for community. We're designed to be in community. And that community is the picture, is called the church. And that church, if we trace it back to the beginning, is a picture that we see right back in Genesis of Adam and Eve with God. Now, all of us can be in community, but not all communities have God in it. So my hockey club doesn't have that. And your book club doesn't have that. He might be present in that, but that's not the vehicle that he's come and said, this is how he's going to operate. This is where he's going to partner with mankind. This is where he's going to come and do his work from. This is the custodian of the gospel. This is the pillar of truth. This is where my manifold wisdom shall become and made known. This is my community. It is his church that we need to come and see as a collection of people that have God as front and center in. And so the church is not a building, it's a community. It's those people in the book of Genesis, and it's the people of the church today. And I want to encourage you and urge you to come and to be a part of a church in which you can come and believe in the direction they're going in, that come and defend that direction and what they're doing against the Word of God, and that don't go off in any kind of funny directions, and that they have a leadership that you can come and trust The Bible says, submit to your leaders. Now, submission is a gift that you get to give. It cannot be demanded. And you need to find a leadership within a church that you trust. And you can come and give that gift of submission to them. And so I trust that you're leading us in the right direction. And so when we come and we talk about fellowship groups, I just want to come and say that in terms of... In terms of... um, Of church and how we understand church. It's not just big church here on a Sunday, but it's also small church in the context of homes where we gather together and our groups are those groups that have been recognized and endorsed by eldership to come and to represent big church and small church in the community context in homes. And so this represents our leadership team. This represents those that are leaders in our fellowship groups And I want to encourage you, if you're not in a group, I want to ask you to come and to partner up. That next week you come and visit a home and you come and join one of these groups and you come and do small church. You come and do church in a home next week. And so uh, I'm going to ask, we've got two new groups that we're going to launch. And for the sake of time, what we're going to do, we're going to bring them here. We're going to let them just introduce themselves a little bit around their group. And then we're going to gather around them, pray for them and release them. Is that okay? And then we're done. Okay. Michael and Rebecca, won't you come up? And Byron and Lizelle, except Lizelle's not here today. So Byron, come on up. Bring your gang up if you want to bring them up. Okay. We've got... Okay. Michael, Rebecca, won't you tell us a little bit about yourselves and your group? Morning everyone, so my name's Michael and this is my wife Rebecca, and together with Brendan and Michelle and Dawn, I don't know if they they are, quickly stand, Um, we as as an adult core are going to start a fellowship group for teenagers or high schoolers. Yeah, so we're really excited to, and trusting God that we can create a space where teenagers can come together and we can listen to the preach and the word and, and just become a community and yeah. Share, share our love of God with each other 
And yeah, we're just trusting if there are teenagers here, please come speak to one of us. Um, we're super keen that you join next week. And if you're a parent of teenagers, you're also more than welcome to come speak to us. Um, we're very excited. Thank you. Brilliant. Byron. Morning, everyone. Yeah, I'm Byron. Um, I have got a very beautiful wife, Lizelle. She unfortunately is not able to be here today. Um, yeah, so, and then we've got four wonderful kids. Oh, there. Okay. <laughs> we've got four amazing kids. Kayla, who is our eldest, um, and then we've got two in between her and this one. This is Samuel. He's one. And yeah, we just we're super excited to just yeah begin creating a community. I think one of the most important, well, it's part of the three, was joining a community, and and through that was just finding God in not just in our lives, but just the amazingness that he comes in and brings blessing into our lives. So we're super excited to start a group and, and hopefully give other people the same blessing that we got through joining community. And yeah, thanks. Okay, come stand over here. Come stand over here. The rest of you come and gather around. We're going to lay hands on you guys and just pray you guys out. Yeah, Father, thank you so much for uh, Michael and Rebecca, Brendan, Michelle, Dawn, and the group that they are launching. Father, we just pray your blessing over them, God, as they seek to advance your kingdom, specifically with teens. God, that you would uh, just be, be so present with them. Holy Spirit, that they would be so sensitive to your leadings and your promptings and your guidings, and that their influence would be um, beyond what they could even hope or imagine, God. And we just pray that uh, as a result of this group launching, that teens would fall deeper in love with you, that there would be uh, just a, a more genuine relationship in their, uh, in their walk with you, and that their witness as a result would be greater in their schools and their communities. We just pray for such a, um, a positive start next week, God. We just pray for your blessing and your leading and your guiding over each one of them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Do you want to find your seat while we close? <laughs> I'm much smaller than you, so you can't see me. <laughs> okay. Okay, Josh, Father, thank you for this beautiful family, God, who've just stuck up their hand um, to be uh, to be used by you, God. And um, we are so stoked and excited for them and for the journey that you've got them on and for where you've brought them from, God, and everything, how you've led them to this point. And God, we also pray your richest blessing over not only them as a family, but them as a group as they launch into this new season in their beautiful new home and all that you've given them. God, we pray that their, uh, their impact would be so great. And I pray that you would bring the right people to their group uh, at the right times, God, to strengthen them, to uh, encourage them, but as a group, that their, um, that their witness would be so great into their workplaces. Um, God, I just pray your, your, your richest favor and blessing over them. God, I, I just sense um, your smile over this family and over their, their willingness to be used by you, God. I just pray that you would blow wind in their sails as they step out in faith, uh, that you would really bless them and their group uh, for, your, for your name's sake and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>